welcome to Joe Talks Comics. This is the podcast where I talk with friends about the comics we've been reading and enjoying lately, plus occasional okay, episodes and creator interviews. This week I invited my great friend Glenn Matchett back to the podcast to talk about Seven to Eternity, the Image Comics book by Rick Remender, Jerome Opinia, Matt Hollingsworth and Russ Wooten on writing, art, colouring and lettering respectively that ran from 2016 to 2021 for 17 issues. This was a interesting book and we had a lot to say about it. If you haven't read the series, Glenn gives a brief synopsis of what it's about a few minutes in and there aren't any spoilers in this conversation. So if you haven't read the book, you should be able to go into this just fine. We we do allude to a few things happening in the story and like talk around them. So maybe something to keep in mind on where you want to stand on that sort of thing. But it is always fun when we can use conversations like this when I can use conversations like this with guests to springboard and talk about other topics and sort of link it to other things and it creates a interesting and more enriching conversation when it's not necessarily about the the book but what we can say about it what what it sort of leads to in terms of other things that was something that I I also really enjoyed and thought was fun about my giant days discussion with Glenn uh, a, a few months before this episode goes live depending on when this goes live because yes this is recorded many months in advance the two before it goes live so it's just a really fun one just to like record in advance get it in the can as they say and yeah i enjoy talking to glenn he's always a great guy go check out him on twitter at glenn Matchett and his well not it's not exclusively his podcast but the podcast he co-hosts with his Friends, Ray and Brandon, Rabbit Stew Comics, great podcast. Apart from that, I hope you enjoy the conversation. And I'll see you on the other side, as always. So, Glenn, welcome to the podcast. He says, like, we haven't been talking for 30 to 40 minutes beforehand. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it was fun because when I finished the deluxe hardcover of Seven to Eternity towards the end of 2022. It was always in the back of my mind as one of the like many books that I wanted to cover on the podcast. So when you mentioned that you'd finished the experience of talking about it, and we we, sort of, we had a couple of back and forths about the book, and I was like, actually, why don't you um, come on the podcast and we can have a proper discussion about it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, I think that, you know, I, I started reading this book many months ago. It was the first trade was gifted to me by uh, Ray of the, my fellow co-host on the rabbits too. He got me the first trade for Christmas. I really, really enjoyed it. And I got the second trade and I just fell off it because I kept getting distracted by other books. And eventually they released this hardcover and I thought, well, I might as well just, there was like two trades left and I thought I'll just get the hardcover, even, you know, and I'm glad I did because it is a really lo- say what you will about the story. I thought I think the hardcover is a lovely presentation. Yeah, it really is, and it's always fun when these remember image hardcovers like this and Deadly Class and some of the others from what I've heard are like even harder than a like Marvel or DC omnibus. So mm-hmm. a proper deluxe edition in in every sense of the word, it feels like. They put a lot of effort into his hardcovers, like more than, I mean, I've got hardcovers of like Walking Dead and Invincible and stuff like that. And they just don't seem as nice as these, these ones in the, in the Deadly Class hard, hardcovers. And I have seen the, um, the, 
the Black Science ones, and they're very nice as well. Uh, so I don't know what it is about Remender, but they do, they do give him the nice old hardcover treatment. Yeah, and to get this out of the way at the start, that sort of segues into one of the points which I wanted to mention, which was, first of all, I love the overall like aesthetic, not just of the art, which is like incredible, but the covers are really fun when they have the like border around them. Mm-hmm. With, uh, every single issue, so it, it and it's almost like parchment, so it has that sort of old fantasy journey adventure aesthetic, which is really fun. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a lovely book. I mean, um, Jerome Pema, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, I haven't read a lot of it. I haven't read a lot of his work. Uh, he's probably best known for drawing some of Hickman early Hickman Avenger stuff. Um, but I haven't read a lot of his work, but his work here is lovely. This is a very, this world has a lot of kind of, even though it's such a high fantasy concept in terms of uh, what's on kind of display, there's, he brings a lot of reality to it. You can almost like feel the, the, the world that it's set in, which is, which is very hard to achieve in such a, a world that's so like alien in a way. Yeah, when I was uh, a couple of hours before we recorded, I sort of spent an hour going back through the the story and just refreshing my memory. And I came across a review for the first couple of volumes, which described the art as like aged and lived in, which is something yeah. that I'd always noticed, but hadn't quite connected the words to, and quite found the words for it. But it definitely has that like rough and like it's really cool because it has a very like rough and grimy texture to it but then the the colors by matt hollingsworth are so like vibrant and rich so it just creates this really like atmospheric and cinematic feel which is yeah especially in the deluxe format is really fun to read through so i guess we should sort of say that uh, what roughly the book is about. Um, Seven to Eternity is a 17 issue image series that started in like, I don't know, 20, like forever ago. And uh, it is about. That's the one. And it is about uh, this pseudo fantasy realm that is ruled over by an evil um, an evil being called known as the Mud King. And this is a world where people have abilities or powers. Um, you, it seems to be there's not many left. And his ability is he can basically connect to your mind where he can see and hear through people's eyes and ears, but they have to give him permission. And the way he gets that permission is he, he basically um, grants them a person a wish or a deal. And he always makes good. And uh, he this is how he rules this world is through being able to see and hear through his people that he's made various deals with. And this group of rebels kidnaps him uh, and is going to kill him. But if they kill him, they'll kill everyone he's ever made a deal with, which would be millions of people. So they're basically trying to disconnect him from those people and then get rid of him. And it's basically that journey of taking him from A to B and all the, the crap that happens in between on, on rabbit stew and maybe uh, even on, Twitter in private conversations, can't remember where I said this is basically Lord of the Rings. If the ring was a person, and if everyone was Boromir, yeah, I think it's fun to make those comparisons to the like classic 
fantasy adventures, especially something as legendary as the Lord of the Rings, because it is very steeped in those sorts of themes and ideas and that genre. Because especially with I think someone like Remender, you have his books which are very sort of like they get all go in like different directions, but they go like very strongly in those directions. Like they all have very strong identities. I guess is the phrase I'm looking for when you have like black science which is all very like sci-fi and exploration and that the class which is a little more like grounded and sometimes absurd like a school for assassins and the teenagers that get into the rest there and then so it, it is cool to see like a, a fantasy book as one of those types of genres he's tackling here yeah I mean, yeah, he's a, he's a very, like, I've read uh, a good bit of his work, plus uh, his Captain America run, um, and he, uh, he he never really, you know, whenever I read a Tom King book, I kind of know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a lot of deep introspection and trauma. <laughs> if I read Jeff Lemire, I'm going to get grounded family tragedy or um, nightmarish horror. Or both. <laughs> if I read um, Ed Brubaker, more often than not these days, I'm going to get crime noir or just noir. Um, Remender is very good, I think, at just doing something very different every book he does. Yeah, and maybe that's, I suppose that's, that's part of why he is so appealing for someone like me that at the, again, at the time of this recording, I sort of been gradually diving into more and more of his like, back catalogue with thing, diving into things like Deadly Class and Black Science after hearing so many good things about them, where, where maybe with some writers, as, as you say, you might not want to read like five Jeff Lemire books in a row, even if they're going to be all fantastic, whereas with this, you probably could read like a, a few different Remender books in a row. You wouldn't necessarily get burnt out in the same way or... Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if it would be accurate to say you wouldn't notice they're all Remender books, but you, you might not. But yeah. it's that sort of mentality. Yeah, I don't know. Like, if you gave me like Deadly Class, Black Science, and uh, Seven to Attorney to read, and you didn't tell me the same person wrote them, I don't know if I would be able to tell. Mm. Um, I mean, if you gave me like Visions, uh, Sheriff of Babylon, and um, Rorschach, I probably could. Um, but the I think with Remender it's a bit harder, and that's maybe why some of his work hits is sort of sort of more like King. Uh, King is probably more has a better hit average, and Lemire has a better hit average than than Remender does. Whereas Remender does something different kind of every time, and Scumbag uh, seems to be very different again, and Righteous Force for Vengeance seems very different again. Um, it's uh. It's harder to kind of get a consistency of like, oh, just because I like this book doesn't mean I'm going to like this book because this book is being is completely different to the last book. Yeah, yeah. As you say, that that can be a strength, but also maybe a weakness because you're not going to. I, I mean, I mean, not not every writer is. I mean, no writer is going to hit out the park every time. No. But at least. Yeah, at least I suppose it is a different kind of thing if you're like doing that whilst trying new things. Whereas, if <laughs> you you might have like a Tom King book, which and, and I, like I think we both I love Tom King. I think you as well. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So, 
even even then, then it might just be books that were just not as into as others. Or I think it, it's more interesting to, uh, I suppose in that sense, rank the Remender books when there are more like distinct and clear cut lines yeah. between them. Whereas with, with Tom King, they sort of not, not necessarily all merged together because they feature different characters, but like again, as we've sort of talked about a lot already, like, themes and the ideas where. Because I, I think I prefer Black Science and Deadly Class to this, to be honest, from what I've read already of those. Well, I like Center Eternity, but I don't think it's quite the the level of I've ever gone to. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's definitely, for me, between those two, I think I have to give the edge to Deadly Class personally because I like the aesthetic more, but yeah, the 80s... You know, I'm I'm slightly cough cough older than you, so the eighties <laughs> is closer to my time than it is to yours. I was born in the eighties, but I obviously was a baby for the majority of it, or or toddler. But it's obviously growing up in the nineties. The eighties wasn't that far away. You were born in uh, the mid two thousands, so the eighties seems so much further. It's almost like a another another planet. Um, mm. so I, I can connect to Deadly Class, I like this Fatigal more, to me it kind of scratches the same itch that show, that shows like the Stranger Things do that are playing on those like nostalgic beats of, of yesteryear and I kind of like um, Deadly Class obviously it can be a very heavy book with some genuine high risks and shocks and, and horrible moments but it does have like a, a sort of reckless um, tongue-in-cheek attitude towards it all that the other books don't really have. Like, like, Black Science is a very heavy book, and this is a very heavy book. Like, I, I think this is his. Like, Black Science is something that I think most people would enjoy once you get past the initial heaviness of it, because it's very high concept. Deadly Class is probably his most accessible book because it's easy to explain and it has again a bit more of a uh black humor type tone this one is i think one is the his hardest to kind of get into because there's so much kind of being thrown at you and this this world again is so foreign and yet there is certain fantasy things which you can pick out as like oh well that's that's a goblin i know what a goblin is etc um right but yeah. there's like so there's it's almost like you're this this story is almost written like you are meant to have lived already lived in this world for a significant period of time. Everything's explained, but it, it feels like this is like a again like much like Lord of the Rings. Although Lord of the Rings is arguably a bit more accessible, Lord of the Rings is a very small story in the grand scheme of Middle Earth. Uh, this feels like this uh, the events of Seven to Eternity um, feel like a very small portion of a much larger world, and that can be hard to breach. Um, I mean, this this is not... I don't think this is a book that... I would recommend people read it, but I don't think it's a book for everyone. I think it's a book... It's a very heavy book that has a lot of depressing things and a lot of things that even though this is a fancy world where powers exist and these fantastical creatures exist, there's a lot of disturbing familiarity to real-world events as well, and that's not necessarily what everyone wants from their comics. So I think something that I find interesting about Seven's Eternity and it's something that it's a book that at the same time I don't know quite what I think about it and yet I have like so many thoughts about it where and I, I find it sometimes hard to when I'm thinking about the book to try and like pass those and sift through those because 
as you say, it is very heavy, and it, it's only again seventeen issues long compared to just looking these up uh, to yeah. remind myself. But Deadly Class is fifty six issues. Yeah, Black Science is forty three issues. I mean, Righteous Thirst is like a dozen or so issues, but that's uh, yeah, so that's slightly different. So at least in those, maybe not Black Science, but of what I've read, but with Deadly Class, at least there are, of all the dark issues, there are moments when, so far I've seen Remender sort of just showing the characters like pissing around, or you can sort of see them like connecting as people, even like between the action, or there'll be issues almost like entirely focused on characters. Whereas with something like Seventh of Eternity, when you literally only got the 17 issues, when I was refreshing my memory on it, it, I don't know if, I mean, you mentioned the real world issues as well, I don't know if it's something that Romenza just had to write to work through some things and then he'd like, be done with it. Because it feels like, like, when I was trying to like pull my thoughts together before recording, I was sort of summarizing it by saying like the art is like a 10 out of 10. I think the art is just like breathtaking spectacular etc 10 out of 10 whereas the story is maybe maybe an eight which i know is still very high but because i like a lot of the ideas here and, and explored but there's a part of it that just feels like a bit clunky like it's sort of yeah i, I don't know it's some sort of like interesting thought experiment explored over 17 issues where it doesn't maybe at times it doesn't have quite the room it needs to breathe because it almost feels like a story that tries to like present and explore the complex things, and then sort of equally, it almost feels very straightforward because it has that yeah. limited time. It's sort of very, as you sort of mentioned, like like here to here, here to here, here to here, and so I think that maybe that's where the messiness and trying to bring my thoughts together when it comes from, or at least part of it. No, I I think eight out of ten is very fair to me. The the two things that really restrict it in terms of story is that it's very again it's very bleak it's a very bleak story yeah. i mean like i again i said i read the first two trades years ago and then i read uh those eight issues or so again along with the rest of the series and it seems like at, around the point of the third arc or trade three it would be the story changes quite significantly because it, it, up until then it is a fairly straight story of we're going to get the, uh, the bad guy from a to b kill the bad guy the world is saved but Around issue ten, nine or ten or so, the story uh, sort of doesn't deviate. It, it it is all building towards the same thing, um, but it, it kind of deviates more into this slow progression of everyone falling to corruption. Because none of these characters, there's no real good guy here. Maybe Goblin, maybe the daughter, um, but everyone has their kind of own twisted agenda, an own twisted viewpoint. Um, and everyone's kind of again. Everyone here is the Boromir. Everyone is working for their own selfish intention, with their own justification for it, uh, to various degrees of how bad that is. And then this, the, so it's very bleak in that regards. And the second thing I think is, I don't know if this series was meant to run for longer. I, I doubt it sold very well because again, it's it's of all his concepts, it's the one that's probably hardest to sell because of everything I've mentioned. And I'm sure Jerome Upenma doesn't come cheap. Um, that maybe he did. He wanted this to go for longer, and it didn't. Because to me, the last issue or the last two issues to me seem. Ve- I'm very confused about what's happening. I mean, there's so you're hit, you're getting hit in those last two issues of so much information 
about the fate of all the characters, what exactly is going on. This is, it seems like there's a lot happening all at once in those last two issues, where the latter half of issue 17 is like takes place thousands and thousands and thousands of years in the future. And there's a few things I'm still not entirely clear on whenever the book ends. Like, uh, I, I, we, we're, we're going to try and avoid exact spoilers, but there's like several things. Like, I'm not sure if there's people being in other people's bodies, if there's just implication, the, the overall implication that this journey, that there was no good result from this journey, that um, even if they'd left things alone, things would have been terrible, but they've tried to change things and things are still terrible, um, or arguably even worse. Um, it's it's a very to me the ending just is very unclear about exactly what position, well, who's what what how everyone got in the position they're in, and exactly I'm not even entirely sure the Mud King's entirely dead in in the, in the events of I say I'm not going to say specific spoilers, um, but uh, in the kind of latter. In sort of the final few pages, it's heavily insinuated that, to me at least, from what I did determine, that the Monk King almost like transferred his consciousness, partially at least, into someone else. Um, so, and it's it's a but then you could maybe think that the story is maybe starting all over again because we're kind of in the same position at the end of the book than we were at the start of the book. It, to me, the ending's not very clear, which really hurts it, and I and I'm wondering if that's to do with. Uh, the, the the series may be coming to a close faster than what Remender wanted. Yeah, and also I, I imagine part of this is doing an opinion as like artwork and that I can't be a quick process, but it went it went like more it released more sporadically as it went on. Yeah, because again, this is like twenty sixteen to twenty twenty one, and that's like seventeen issues. So to uh, so that that can't have helped with like sales if it already was a bit of a hard sell and then yeah. it was sort of coming out sporadically with like months and m- maybe like years not quite years but oh like there was like six months when between you, some issues yeah so that can't have helped and I think it's it's quite bleak in the sense that the main character isn't a good person and. No. That that seems to be like the the idea where Remender just sort of shows his like gradual descent into just like his his actions sort of just going further and further into just, uh, yeah just sort of like spiraling out spirals out of control yeah and that that can be compelling and and it is compelling to a sense here but yeah there is no sort of sense of Levity, and that's not even to say that there should be like levity, or that there shouldn't be this sort of story being told. But it, it just creates something very intriguing, where you you do feel like something is like missing, because it, it does suddenly sort of ramp up when you well, well, because really, but this it doesn't quite feel like the story like properly begins until issue three, say, yeah, or or, or even like issue three or four, when you can. Right, properly get into what what you think the story is going to be about, and even like a few issues later, it then drastically changes again, and it it becomes this sort of different story and how it develops. And it it sort of reminds me when you were talking, the book Middle West came to mind by yeah. Scott Young and Jorge Corona, 
where they're obviously completely different. I mean, they're both fantasy books, but sort of, but they're completely different other ways. Yeah. But I remember Middle West struck me as the kind of book when I read it in like a complete hardcover that I couldn't quite imagine even like reading that trade by trade, that like that alone month to month. It felt mm. like the sort of series that you needed to like consume and digest all in like one big chunk or maybe not necessarily like one big chunk, but in if you just sort of like gradually read the hardcover over like a week or two or even less and you could sort of let it sit as a whole. It, it feels like another one of those series when it can be sometimes uh, like difficult enough to unpick as it is, but I think you need to at least have the advantages of having it all, like all at once and sort of tackling it as a big hole rather than trying to like you said when you at first only read like, the first two volumes it, it, yeah uh, yeah it's, it's interesting yeah no and, and there, this is probably a bigger conversation about how monthly monthly comics maybe aren't the ideal anymore because creators i think are beholden to it but just because it's what we're used to um but like obviously you get creators like um ed rubaker for uh for example is breaking from that mold and he's just going out and he releases like three or four graphic novels mm. as opposed to doing like um reckless would probably be like a five or six issue miniseries um otherwise uh, and i can't imagine reading reckless as a five or six issue miniseries um because i'm so used to it being graphic novels but and and the thing, the whole thing at the moment is graphic novels. Graphic novels are far outselling monthly books, specifically young adult ones, and even more specifically, um, diverse ones are slaughtering monthly books. Mm. Um, but yeah, like these visions that creators have. But it's it's like I think I think the reason why because I we're we're an impatient people. Like this is streaming has shown this uh, time and time again. Oh, yeah. That you know. Imagine, like, if Remender and Opema said, right, we've got this story, and it's going to be, like, 400-odd pages, and we're going to take... Oh, what, the he lines is in 2016. Uh, well, you can you can read this in, like, four years. It's 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 something that... The, I don't think it's something the market would accept. Um, because people would be like, no, I want it now. <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of trained to, like, say, video games are kind of like that. You Like, how long have we been waiting... On uh, Justice League versus or uh, Suicide Squad kills the Justice League versus when it was announced. I mean, Arkham Knight came out in what twenty eleven? Uh, no, um, was it twenty eleven? Was it that long ago? It's been a long last time um, between Arkham Knight and Suicide Squad versus the Justice League. And but gamers are kind of trained to expect a long wait between announcements and actually having the game in their hands. Comic fans, because we're so used to the monthly fix, aren't. And so even when a book goes gets delayed, like uh, Seven to Eternity, it's like the worst thing in the world. And it can kill the, momen- the momentum of a series in terms of sales. Some some series are fine without it, it depends. But like a book like this would need a monthly momentum, especially if something is... It, it's complex. It's a, it's a simple story, but it's also complicated. So reading it month to month and then having a second month break and going, what's happening? Who's this? Why are they wanting this? Why is he like this? It, it, it is something I feel that reads better as one. What I find interesting reading it kind of all together is the pages of prose that are in, at the start of some of the issues are, I find, very contradictory purposely obviously as the issues go on but some of the issues he's like very much at the start he's very different 
his 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 attitude towards everything is very different, obviously, than when it is at the end. But also, he contradicts himself. The, the character contradicts himself contra- um, uh, continually, and he also changes his opinion on various characters continually. And he also... Uh, this is something that Brandon pointed out on the on the podcast when I reviewed this book. That initially he calls his father Pa, and then he starts referring to his father by his first name. So his father is no longer he, he is because he's been broken away from his father's key influence. His he's realized that there's a flaw in his father's vision. So his father's doesn't hold the same esteem in his mind that he does towards the end of the book. And so, but then some issues, like so the start of some issues, he's going, the Mud King must be killed, blah, 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 blah. And then the next issue is going, the Mud King's my best pal. We're going to see baseball. And, but then the next issue is going, I'm this, something terrible is happening to me. I must kill the Mud King. And then the next issue is going, the Mud King's my best pal. So he, there's a lot of confliction in the narrative of those prose pages, which I find really, really interesting. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up those journal entries because that was one of the most notable and striking parts of the book when you have those elements that like break it up each time, especially reading it in a more collective format, like a hardcover, when you just want to sometimes like go, 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 like binge it, and you sort of, it like breaks up your, your reading in terms of like pacing as a whole when you have to sort of read those in each chapter. And I didn't even notice the... Um, when you had those little details with the like how he speaks about certain characters, and I think that's definitely something that's again sort of interesting in about our conversation with the pacing of the book, where you have the inciting incident, and then sort of a couple of issues of sort of like build up across various things, and then you again, like I mentioned, you think the story gets started, but then you just sort of gradually there's like a distinct turning point and. In like issue six, I remember when I refreshed my memory, where like from that point on, Adam, the main character, is just sort of more and more like unhinged and more and more sort of like committed to this like specific, like unwavering ideal. And and it's it sort of part of me with the ending. Part of me like accepts the ending as it, it just sort of like all crashes down very suddenly. Mm-hmm. So I I like it in some senses, but then. Like the book as a whole, I, I think I would definitely be interested to see or be interested to know even if there were plans to like expand on it at all. And with, with regards to the idea of monthly comics and things, it becomes frustrating when you have readers that would complain if they had to wait longer for a more complete version, but mm. then they complain anyway because if it's like a first part of a larger story. And, and there's maybe some things that are sort of going to be like unfolded or, or paid off or and th- th- even then they, they sometimes they don't have the patience either way but at yeah. least at, at least if it comes out all at once they can experience the whole thing all at once and then have a potentially more balanced perspective of it or at least if they're not, not going to have a balanced perspective they can have the whole thing whereas and this is like a wider conversation like as you mentioned, but when you have the like monthly chapters, whatever is going to be like paid off, you still have that like monthly discourse, which and and that might not have been something specific to Seven to Eternity particularly, depending on how many 
where he doesn't have compared to like Fake Two titles, but it's still an interesting point to make and consider. Maybe uh, forgive me if I've told you this story before. Have I ever told you about what Peter David said in an interview about high comic fans sort of process? Uh, stuff like the, what you're just alluding to. I don't think so. So, so this was this was a long time ago. This is, and I, but I still think it's correct. This was when he was writing Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. So this was like two thousand six or so. He says that comic fans know too much these days because solicitations <clears> come out. We know three months in advance, at least, that what's going to happen in our series and what series are coming out. And then we sometimes even get advance. We usually get announcements before solicitations about. Oh, um, starting in like November, there's going to be a new Daredevil book by Salman Ahmed. Just for example, just to pick up a book at random. So we know far, far in advance. But the the current run has, isn't even over. But we know that's. But we already know what the new run is going to be. Um, and but he said that uh, a perfect example that the reason that we know too much and it's bad for us is he used the example of Amazing Spider-Man 100. Have you ever read Amazing Spider-Man 100? No, but I know what happens. What happens? He grows the arms, extra arms. Okay, so I want you to imagine if that was to happen today. We would know at least three months in advance that that was happening. We, would, we wouldn't have any context, and the internet would die. The internet would rip itself to shreds over this. That Marvel was ruining Spider-Man by giving him six extra arms. The Marvel was going to die on the, this, on the back of this decision. And they were never going to read Spider-Man again. Spider-Man was ruined forever. Blah, 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 blah. Right? At the time, Peter David did not know this was happening. He read the issue. He found out when it came out. And he was like, oh my god. What's he going to do? How's he going to explain this to Ben? What's going to happen next month? I can't wait to find out. That's that's the difference. We know too much. And we all we, we all think that we know the best. We everyone is uh, it's because and it's because the inter- the internet allows everyone to be a critic. So everyone gets uh, a piece of the mountain where they get to to plant their flag and go. I think this, this, or this. And there's so many voices saying, "I think this, 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 and this." That it just creates a lot of noise and a lot of influence. I'm I'm try to be as best as possible to ignore noise uh online or whatever i like listening to other people's opinions i like listening to people talk about books i like to listen to books i might be interested in and what people i like listening to think about those books because that usually will influence whether i get them or not but i try to ignore noise because to me the noise can cancel out what i'm going to take from a book because like i had a friend uh pick up went to the library to pick up a book about how to interpret Frankenstein, right? You can't tell someone how to interpret Frankenstein. I could read Frankenstein. Frankenstein is really about how ovens are the modern evil of the, of the world. And you're going to think, how do you get that? And it doesn't matter. That's what I get from Frankenstein. A book is not going to tell me what I can get from Frankenstein. A book is going to tell me what they get from Frankenstein and how they arrive there. But it, it's, a, it's exactly the same thing. So the, this book, I think, because... It's so heavy and it has so many messages about corruption and temptation and how greed, and again, this is my opinion, greed ultimately is going to doom you and doom the planet, uh, is really, uh, is, but then someone else can read it and go, it's actually about how this guy starts as a rebel and ends up kind of being dark side, basically. Um 
And that's kind of a depressing story of how someone who's so independent can ultimately fall to the ultimate corruption. And both equally views to approach the book are valid, and you can you can um, justify that through various means. But I think that that's one reason, another reason why this book gets such a mixed response, and it isn't as big a success as like Deadly Class or Black Science or whatever is that there's so many different ways to interpret it. And it's ask it's asking the reader a lot of uncomfortable questions. And again, that's because it's so bleak. Like, it's it's not really pleasant to read a story that's just so bleak and ultimately just doesn't have a happy ending. It's It ends on a very diner note, and then it just stops. And it's just like, oh, okay, now I feel worse about myself. <laughs> yeah. It, it makes me think of when... You you were talking the phrase that the path to hell is paved with good intentions came into mind. Oh yeah, it was like well, I, I part of me just imagine Rick Remender seeing that phrase, being reminded of it, and going, "Oh, that, that sounds like a good idea." And it just like, <laughs> I like, could get seventeen issues out of this. <laughs> yeah, like the, the seed of the story that that's just like stuck in my mind now. But yeah, because it is like of of course definitely valid when you can research and look into other people's like opinions on things and takeaways and analysis analyses of things and that's often something that can be like interesting and fascinating and insightful etc yeah to like enrich your own understanding of it yeah. but when you're trying to like, like tell me how to feel about this which and sort of tying it together sometimes that does somewhat feel about the the, the discourse online about about anything when you have sites like sometimes rotten tomatoes where it if something is like rated really badly everyone that hates it will be like ah oh, see it was bad and then the people that enjoyed it if it gets a good rating will be like see it's good and it just i yeah. guess I'm, I'm talking about the the idea sometimes there's a compulsive need to classify things as bad or good rather than just well, I like it. Oh, I don't like justify it. our own feelings. Like, like you say, if there's a film you really like, and you go on Rotten Tomatoes uh, and go, "Oh, it's got a good rating," therefore I can feel good about enjoying the film, which is yeah. just like the Weird. room is <laughs> a terrible film, and it has, I have no doubt, a very terrible rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's so terrible, it sort of comes so pa- far past terrible. It comes into brilliance. So I really enjoy watching that film. It is a, a, a unique experience that I highly recommend everyone enjoy themselves. But if you were to go on to hear about this legendarily bad film and go on Rotten Tomatoes and just see a bad rating, you'll go, oh, well, clearly it's bad. But you wouldn't get the enjoyment of what, experiencing that for your, the sort of what how insane it is yourself because you've, you've written it off already because of the mm. bad reputation it has. Um it's just it's it's a it's a very strange thing, you know, because like I like like these characters are all very interesting in this book, and they all have very interesting perspectives, but they ultimately again aren't all none of them are really again the daughter might be the closest thing to actually being a quote unquote good person because she's kind of falling on from her father's teachings, who's falling on from his father, but obviously his dad's beliefs were entirely great. But so, she, but she's one step removed from that. So she's kind of got a filtered version. So her viewpoint isn't really as corrupted as the sons. So she's really kind of an almost like an innocent in this. She's really not a major part of the book until the last four or five issues. She's just kind of shows up and is like, right, I'm here to make sure my dad's okay. 
which is again the most probably the most honest um good intentions of any of these characters um because no matter objectively murder is wrong (laughs) um so like everyone on this group is objectively still going to kill a person a very 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 bad person who arguably just uh, deserves to be killed but still they want to kill someone um so her 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 um motivation is probably the purest and the most closest to what we would classify as good but she's not really a major focus of the book until the last couple of issues. And then ultimately she also falls into like corruption. But I think all the characters are interesting in their different kind of viewpoints and own motivational goals. Even the ones that present themselves, like the, the lady with the lamp, um, I can't remember her name, <laughs> um, is per, like really portrays herself as kind of looking down on the, the, the main protagonist and, kind of as like oh i'm doing this because of xx y and y aren't i so great but she's very hoity-toity and she's looking down all the people so she's not that great a person it's it's just all very interesting like i think i think it's a book that really and i, I will definitely read it again of course after after probably some time because i i want to see if i can digest the more of the more from the ending uh, if nothing else but i think it's a book that would take a few reads to fully get everything it's trying to put across across and try to fully, especially with the ending in mind, but sometimes you can't really appreciate a book until you know where it's going um, to kind of appreciate where uh, all these character viewpoints are and um, like underline some of the, the mess overall tone and kind of things the book's kind of put, putting across, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, this just sort of solidifies and ties together what we've been talking about already, where... Because we keep mentioning how bleak it is and how yeah. it hasn't quite maybe sort of connected itself together or, or stopped the landing, but... Because it, it, it just gets me thinking that, like, Deadly Class isn't a, like, joyful, happy book. Deadly Class no. is quite bleak as well at times. It's... Uh, the the word absurd I think I might have used that earlier comes to mind with Deadly Class where it's sort of it it, it it's a bit more lighter in terms of there's a bit more levity within the bleakness but even like then so, so to have something like Sims Eternity which is just feels like very bleak and very heavy and it feels like the thing that like could work if, yeah it, it was given a bit more sort of like work, work to it and if it was sort of just like I, I mean, a few things were like adjusted and that's not for me to be like oh if it was just like this this and this change but just sort of speaking generally mm. it, it feels like it's just like again like missing something that makes it quite connect and like quite utilize mm-hmm. its ideas which sort of i suppose was what they were to at the beginning to because of how dark it is to be like did we just want to again work through something and and it's not like i mean this was again this was released over five years it's not like this was something just like written quickly just to get out the door there's obviously something that was in his mind now and again for years but still i don't know it's such a it it, it feels again it's like thought-provoking but not necessarily in a way some other books are thought-provoking and not necessarily always in a good way yeah i don't know yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting book. Uh, I I don't I don't think it's going to be ever seen as one of Image's 
all timers. I don't think it's going to be held in the same regard as, say, like a Walking Dead, uh, which right. is obviously arguably Image's biggest success um, in terms of notoriety. Um, it's it's either that or Spawn. It's hard to uh, it depends on how you want to classify it. Um, and I don't think it's going to be held as high regard as say something like. Um, Trying to think of a good example uh, image books and going through my, I'm going through my mental inventory. Um, I mean, Invincible. Invincible, yeah, something like Invincible, which you know, Invincible has a lot of interesting messages, and Invincible Invincible has a lot of, you know, it has a lot of explores some of these same themes about morality and guilt and temptation and like, um, obviously, it's a lot. There's a lot of uh, about Mark trying to avoid this fate and his own kind of natural instincts to be a better person as much as anything else. Invincible is all about a lot of things, but it's about that as well. Um, and again, that's my perspective. If you think Invincible is about what color trousers you should wear, that's perfectly valid. <laughs> um, but, you know, but Deadly Class, I, I mean, uh, Seven to Eternity, just, I think it's just because it's so short. It's such a small series. 17 issues is like nothing these days. That's like a, that's like a Marvel ongoing, you know, uh, before they get scared, they get scared of the, they're scared of the number 20 and then they relaunch. Um, but like, in terms of like an image series, that's very short. Uh, and then it's gone. And I, I wonder, you know, because the, the, the ending is kind of foreshadowed at about issue 10 or 11, if not earlier, I can't remember, where, you know, uh, someone has this vision of the guy in the armor and that he's going to, like, be worse. He's going to be something worse than the Mud King, um, which is ultimately where we do go. But that the, the ending is foreshadowed so heavily in advance that I kind of wanted to see more of that, of what that kind of, the after the events of the present, what the present look like, I wouldn't have minded, even if, I, I, I don't know if the last issue was double-sized, but I would have had more time in the future that's so kind of set up earlier, would have been nicer to kind of maybe convey some make some of the stuff it's hard to tell because you know we can we can the the book is how it is you know i'm not a big fan of going oh they should have done this this and this and it would have been better um it's it's a great book and i i really enjoy it and it has it gave me like a lot of stuff to think about and i really again the art i think the art is really something that really sells it i don't know i can't imagine anyone else that could have delivered that this tone and this balls to the wall, slightly insane world, as well as Opema. So it was a brilliant choice by Remender. If, um, and I really want to read Fear Agent that they did together before, which is, uh, I think, 30 or 40 issues. Um, but yeah, it, it's just one of those books that, again, I don't think it's going to be held in the high regard of some image books, but I hope that people kind of do check it out and kind of come to their own conclusions about it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the 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 sort of what the book's legacy is if if it has one at all. Uh, I don't think it's going to cast as much of an influence as like say Deadly Class is probably going to be his his original work that probably uh, creates the most influence because it's the longest uh, and is a good seller for Image in terms of collections. Um, but I do think I do hope that people kind of check it out, just even if they've maybe. They're not a fan of Remenders, because it, it's it's something. There's something unique about it, even if it doesn't quite come together, and it doesn't, and it is quite 
dark. There's something unique about it that I can't quite convey or pinpoint. Yeah, for Battle of Us, I think with the like fantasy world that it takes place in, I think it definitely does have something interesting going for it with the whole Mud King and the idea of all the, these people that have like seen his offer and this like control he has over the kingdom and the like the, the people with like powers with what they call Mozax or something and something like that, yeah. Yeah, the, there's the whole thing with the Osidus clan that they're like outcasts because of something that the father did. So there's he, he sort of said at the start of the conversation feels like a world that's like already existed and been like lived in, which is it just sort of makes you want to like delve like further into the the lore that we're just seeing like it's like one like snapshot and and piece of it. But I think it, it is interesting because sort of made comments about and I suppose we both have about how it could have been not like how it could have been improved, but like that it just it could have been improved. And because I do love the 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 ending in terms of how it's like Starlight is when you when you have the because you have like a few pages of black with just that narration yeah. and then and then the bit in the future and then there's sort of, sort of like a sudden moment where it like climaxes and then you just have like it, it's all, it, it's not to explain spot it but it just fades to black effectively over a yeah. period of panels and you have like a blank page just black yeah. with like one bit of speech bubble and but something about that just like gives me chills because it's just so like cinematic. So yeah. I do love that, even if maybe the execution and like how we got there wasn't quite perfect. And I suppose that sort of just sums up my, my tends to be my thesis on this, this book as a whole. That's probably evident by now this conversation. So, well, yeah. I mean, we hmm. we both agreed that the art's a ten and the writing's an eight. But so if you take if you half both of those numbers to get an overall score out of ten, that's a nine. Yeah. You know, so that's a nine out of ten, and it probably we've spent a lot of time going about how the about how the book doesn't quite come together in the end, and I don't think that's necessarily it doesn't ruin the book. There's some books I've read where the ending's been so bad I've been like, wow, I just wasted my time. I don't feel like that towards Seventh Eternity. Uh, I think it's a satisfying enough ending. It's a it's satisfying enough. It's fine as it is. I think it could have been better, stronger, clearer, but it's fine as it is. But I do think it is a, a very strong book. And do I enjoy it as much as, um, like you said about rankings, um, to my memory, I've read, like this is the fourth book by Remender I've read, uh, and I would probably place it third over his Captain America run, which is still very good, but just so wacky. Um, that, you know, But that's just because Black Science and Deadly Class are so far, like those are, those are writing and art is both a 10. So it's a oh, half of that five and five, 10 out of towns. Um, so the, the difference between nine and 10 is so big. It seemingly shouldn't be, uh, but it's so big in that regards uh, that it, it is a book that I think people should check out. It's, it's, it's enough to kind of make me kind of not be quite clear on what I'm trying to convey about it because it, it kind of is so different in that, because of its dark tone and because of its unique world and because of its unique kind of moral quandaries. Because, like, 
we can all like pretend that we can go. Oh, I wouldn't take the offer. I would rebel or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we would all love to be that person. I would love to be that person. But ultimately, we're That's all. That's what Adam so- wanted to say. Yeah, we're all selfish creatures. We're all like we're all ultimately we can we obviously love our families we obviously love our friends but we're all ultimately selfish creatures if we're given a choice uh if we're get, we don't know what we would do in that moment like like my wife has a saying is like you never know what you're capable of until you're in that position so you can't really judge people for what they do or don't do unless they do something completely evil of course but you don't know what you would do. Like, could would you say that you would never kill a person if someone threatened to hurt my kids or kill my kids? Would I be able to kill them? Probably. I hope not, but I probably could. You don't know what you would do. You don't know what you're capable of until you're in the moment. That's why I really like stories like Battle Royale or um, Squid Game because it puts people in the positions that they're not used to, where you don't get that kind of distance of going. Well, I would never do this. But they're put in such these extreme conditions that they're like, well, wait, maybe I'm not this. I'm, I'm this situation has caused me to stop being this person. I'm actually this person. I walk in dead's like that as well. Um, so yeah, you don't know what you would do if faced with the Mud King's offer because you don't know what your situation is. I would love to be able to like be the guy, be able to be the the character that spits in his face and tries to saunter him off to some witches that can help me get rid of them but ultimately would i be the main character i don't know if i'd like the sort of facing that question yeah i think ultimately it it goes back to something i feel like i mentioned every episode but the, the ideas of having those like fantastical ideals and then like the deeply intensely human and personal stories when i think that's something that's that i i always adore like personally the the greater that like difference is the sometimes the more i just like love to like soak it in and like uh, appreciate it because even something like well so i was gonna say something like jeff the mayor which it's probably very some of the most like intensely human and personal stories you're probably going yeah. to read in comics but even then you've got ones where it's sort of adding that element to it to make it more interesting and then so you do have the stories like Sons of Eternity which is like very fantastical but then it, it's just sort of a very like human story transplanted into that like fantastical world and that's the the, the human element is like fascinating and the fantasy yeah. element is always exciting so you have those like atta- attacking the like getting you interested from like different angles you know, uh, and this is probably the craziest comparison that you'll ever hear, and your listeners will probably think, what the hell's he on about? But I think of Ant-Man and Wasp Quantumania, that scene with Bill Murray, who was a freedom fighter, and then Janet left, or escaped, and he's now a kind of well-to-do like member of the government, I guess, is the closest equivalent. Because it's like, and she's like, well, how, how could you do this? And he says this great line of, something along the lines of, he could be very convincing. Because he's probably been, he's probably watched dozens, if not hundreds of his friends be slaughtered by this madman. And he's probably just been broken down, um, like, his morality has been broken down and his own security has been compromised to the point that he's just, like, gone, screw it. You know, I, if you can't beat him, join him. 
And again, you don't, you would, I'd love to think that I would never do, you would never do that, but it's just one of those things that it's, it's this concept that you can't even comprehend because again, it's so far away from what your day-to-day reality is that, that there is this being who can basically control, has indirect control of the populace through their eyes and ears, or there is this madman who's trying to escape a fantastical other realm. Um, these are like realities that we will never have to face fingers crossed um but you know ultimately it's just like you don't again you don't know what you would do and i just find in things like that very interesting and i think seven to eternity does have a lot to say in that regards as well yeah and i do love that there's a moment in the book when where adam's sort of at this place where you can see the like it shows that like, the birth dates what what um shimming the birth dates for like him and his family, his father, his like wife, their children, etc. And they're sort of in like the late three thousands, and it, it just sort of like another really fun way of like distancing it from our world, but still having the on an emotional level the same sort of problems at least. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. There's always, unfortunately, going to be real world equivalents, um, and we do what we can to make a small bit of difference. But um, but yeah, it's it's ultimately out of our control unfortunately um but and if and if we were given a more position of control we don't know what would happen because we're not in that situation it, it's it's very hard to predict yeah so one of the last things i wanted to mention that i hadn't, I hadn't covered yet was we talked a lot about opinion's art over the series but one thing i thought was interesting was the james Harron issues that he did the art for issues seven and eight yeah so I think it's both interesting where it comes in the story after sort of like a major turn with six, and I know it's sort of like an, an, both an interesting shift of focus and the art style is it's sort of, I suppose showcases a bit of what it would have looked like under another artist. It's not completely different. It's still obviously like noticeable, but oh yeah, it's still somewhat. It's not like. I don't know who someone like similar, Scotty Young is similar, similar enough. It's not as if he went down yeah. and got Humberto Ramos. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you had any specific thought, thoughts about. Um, I'll I'll be honest. Things. I kind of took that on the surface level that he wanted just to get the book out faster, and he hoped that getting a guest artist on would get Opema to maybe get a monthly schedule on. I didn't. I didn't think it had a narrative purpose. Um, yeah. but I could. I could yeah. be wrong. I mean. It does, and it is interesting that that is when I feel the, the the kind of tone of the book did change from a very straightforward, almost let's get the ring to Mount Doom, to, well, you know what, this ring might be not so bad after all, you know? Um, so it could be on purpose, but I, I just took it on the surface level that they probably just wanted to get the book out um, because it was taking so long. Pizzopema, I think, had a lot of fill-ins, uh, during his Avengers run, I don't think he even lasted on the book that long. I think they had to get a couple of other artists in, and I I don't think he lasted after the first year. Yeah, I mentioned the borders around the issues at the beginning, around the issue covers, I mean, which sort of contributed to the fantasy aesthetic there, but it's also something cool about the actual... I mean, all, like most comics have borders, but even like the splash pages still are like contained within like a border and yeah. so like all that the cliffhanger pages are. and I'm sure from what I saw 
like one of the first of James Harron issues, issue seven, was one of the only like kind of things to be like a full page. I think it might have been. So uh, again, probably doesn't mean anything, but just something interesting that I noticed. That yeah, it, it could, it, you're, you could be very well onto something, and it could, or it could be that um, that was a conscious decision by Remender when he knew that there would be fill in that I said, "Well, I'm going to do this." To, to differentiate these issues well, these issues not only visually I'm going to do like something like I'm going to do a slight change here here and here because you can do neat stuff like that in comics that's what makes comics so great yeah I don't know if I have anything else to say I don't know about you I feel like it's on cover uh, it's a very lovely hardcover it's one of, I think it's one of the, the the best hardcover presentations that I've ever seen <laughs> yeah yeah, we still talked about that in the beginning. So I know. I just wanted to reinforce it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is worth reiterating. I just yeah, I, a couple of times it, it can be easy, especially when you're sort of trying to like consolidate your thoughts on the subject. It can, it yeah, yeah. Can be easy to like worry that you're going around in, in circles, but hopefully it was a yes. funny, an interesting lesson. Yes. Hope so as well. Thank you for having me back again. I hope to be back again very soon. Yeah, and it's funny that we're sort of recording this this won't go out for many months so it's just sort of recording for a bunch so we're, we're recording this mm. for your second episode of the podcast is out which we recorded a couple of months ago but yes. by the time this goes out that will have been already out for yes quite a few months itself so yes. you know time is time and schedules and it's all Good fun. That happens. Well, but but at the rate that twenty twenty three is going, I'm ex- fully expecting full Dalek invasion by the time um, that this episode goes out. So, for if you're listening, uh, Dalek Masters, uh, I uh, support you, and uh, please don't exterminate me. I mean, if it if it if it goes out as far as the, the new year after Christmas, we all know about the the Doctor Who Christmas specials. Then yeah, to keep an eye. I mean, there are, I suppose there are going to be. It's might come out after the. This, this Doctor Who specials in the autumn, so anyway. Alright, there we go. Anyway, yeah, thank you for coming oh, no on. I'm sorry if I waffle. I feel as if I kept going on weird tangents and uh, and probably talking in circles a little bit. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, you don't need to project because I, I honestly do the, the same. It, it can be easy just to try and like waffle to try and find the words to yeah. what I want to so, communicate. And, then... and again, this is the ASD talking. that Sometimes I... I have feelings about work that I can't convey properly, and I don't know really. But sometimes I hear people talk about books, like, "Oh, this may, this, you know, obviously is reminiscent of Edgar Allan Poe's blah 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 blah." And I'm like, I don't really think about fiction like that, but I can't really explain how I do think about it. So the closest I can come is try to convey it the way you are. Does that make sense? Not not you specifically. I mean, like the royal you. Yeah, I think it's something that's fun, interesting. As an exercise of doing this podcast versus writing reviews, because I'll write like two thousand words or more about the Fantastic Four by Wade Ringo, which I did like recently around the time this when this was recorded, and then so I'll write like reviews which are like a thousand words each at a time. Yeah, some of them. Great run. It took me like an hour or so. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll spend like a lot of time on them, and then, and, and I'll, sometimes I come to this podcast. I'll try to like communicate in, in like a verbal sense what I'm trying to say. And I just yeah. Well, e- like, writing's, writing's easier because you can delete. You can't yeah delete exactly. Speech. 
you, you just have to it's very like I suppose yeah it is like instant and that's like the main thing that makes it yeah where it's like instant versus when you can just spend the time to yeah like write it all down and let it come together yeah I, I go off on tangents about how we're all reactionary beasts <laughs> let's tell let me tell a story about Peter David um I have this very strong memory of of Fantastic Four by Wade Ringo. I was I read it for the, in the hard, original uh, oversized hardcovers that uh, Marvel put out initially. Um, and I read it was I think it was volume two. I read it. Uh, we went to Germany for the Christmas markets, and I was like twenty two, twenty three, um, or so. And I the hotel we had was pretty piss poor, but it had a lovely like reception area with like a, a like a real wooden fire. And I remember reading that. I have a very strong memory of reading that hardcover by that fire and kind of smelling the burning wood. Hmm. And I remember reading Wade's Daredevil for the first time again in, in hardcover. And I found the tone very similar. And it was almost like I could all, I, I remember saying at the time on the podcast back in episode like 53 or whatever, um, that I could almost smell that same burning wood because it elicited such a strong familiarity with that Fantastic Four run. Yeah. I, I remember in the summer of 2022, last year, as we were recording this, when I... One of the books I took on holiday with me was Sandman book one, because okay. presumably to coincide with the show, DC put out, like, thick trades of the, the series they collect about, like... Yeah, the big uh, well, thing. Well, the, yeah, well, the first one... Yeah, well, the first one collects the first 20 issues, so... And I remember one of the days, we're not big beach people, our family, we're not the type of people to spend like all week on the beach, but we had to have like one sort of like beachy day where we spent the day like at the beach rather than sort of visiting it briefly. And point being, I took that Sandman book to the beach and I, like, I specifically took a photo because I was like, as the comedic genius I am, I was like, this is the pinnacle of my comedy where I have to take a picture of myself reading Sandman on the beach on the sand. It was like incredible. No, no, gamer would be proud, probably. <laughs> I like that. Oh my god. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for on this episode. I want to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review the show five stars wherever you're listening. I would really appreciate it. If you want to keep up to date on new episodes, please subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email the show at joetalkscomics.gmail.com. Additionally, if you need any back issues, ratio variants, core variants, or just anything in general, cool stuff to do with comics, you can check out the website for Beaders Thingamajiggets, the comic book store in Fort Collins, Colorado, that most of these comics worked at. And use Joe Loves Comics at checkout to get 15% off. I don't get any money for that. It's just a cool thing for you to use if you want to yeah, check out their site and if you see anything that you like. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Joe Talks Comics. And finally, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Loves Comics, where we can continue talking comics. That's all for now, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.